Hi, I'm Isra Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hunt. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer's Philly special presented by FanDuel. The playoff action is heating up. And with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page, plus start betting on the pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome to the Ringers Philly special. Sheila Kapadia joined by Ben Solak. And it's the Thursday 10. We've got injury news. We've got film review from Eagles Cowboys. We've got Solak's thoughts on Eagles Cowboys. We've got listener questions. And of course, a look ahead to the matchup with the New Orleans Saints. Benjamin, as I said, this is what your 17th uh, podcast of the week. How's the voice? Are you hydrating? Are you drinking lemon? Are you got some tea there? What's going on? I'm feeling good. And, and as I was telling you, it's a final push regular season, man. You got to enjoy it. Yeah, this is the last. We got like, you know, no more bye weeks. We got 16 NFL games in a week. It's good times. We got so many teams in the playoff picture, as I told you on a, on a Extra Point Taken a couple we- a days ago. It's good. This is This is the intensity that I live for. That was a good extra point taken. If you haven't listened to I was getting texted, man. I was getting texted. Oh, you that were? Was, yeah. Good. Oh, yeah. Okay. That, that was a, I mean, I was hearing from nobody, but I just right. felt like it was a good extra point taken. So if you haven't listened to that, go on the Ringer NFL feed. You know, probably some of the shows you listen to this week, like the volume is lower. It's a holiday week. You might need some content. So give that show a shot. It's on the Ringer NFL feed. Extra point taken. We talked some Eagles there, but uh, we talked some fun league-wide stuff there as well. I thought I thought it was a uh, good show for you. All right, let's jump into it. This is fun because I don't know specific. I know some of your thoughts about uh, Eagles-Cowboys, but I don't know all your thoughts. EJ Smith, of course, did a great job on the post. I have gotten texts about EJ Smith saying EJ great, great. great pinch potting by EJ awesome. Smith. I agree. EJ Smith was fantastic. We'll have to have him back. Maybe a little, little three, three-man pod at some point with EJ as a guest. But let's get to the questions. Number one, And there were a lot of these that fell into the same bucket. So if I don't say your name, hopefully I'm getting to your topic because there were a lot that kind of had similar questions. James Lynch asks, looking at the Cowboys film, how much of the defense was Gannon's fault? How much was fluke slash short field? How much was injuries? 
turnovers, the third and 30, the Maddox missed sack, etc. And so he wants to know, I, I thought we could just lead this into a big discussion about what we saw on film from the Eagles defense, whether we're concerned going forward or not. And a little follow-up question to that was from JP, who says, greetings from Brazil. As you know, if you say greetings from Brazil, I mean, you're, you're getting on the show if you're listening from Brazil. He says, do you guys think Jonathan Gannon wastes the potential this roster has on Defense. So, Benjamin, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on that defensive performance against Dallas? So, I'm car- I'll, I'll be curious to hear what you say because after the game, I was pretty hot. I was texting you. Uh, and I was also <laughs> like, you know, I watched that game in my childhood home. And so, I went back to like reverting to like teenage opinion. I was just like, oh, I hate the Cowboys. I hate them so much. This is the worst. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I full on reverted. Watching the film back, I, I have. I, I'm a lot less hot about how the defense played. I'm a lot less, less frustrated. Uh, the, you know, the the first point, the primary point, the season-long point, which has always been made, still remains. Gannon chooses to live in this world, and when you live in this world and you lose, it really is annoying. I said it on the, the pregame pod. If the Eagles lose, uh, you know, give up a ton of points, lose defensive battle, it's going to be the sort of game that drives you up the wall. It was. Like, this is the this is where a really, really, really good quarterback, really good quarterback in game from Dak Prescott, no matter what you think about Dak, like quarterback rankings in the league over the course of seasons, this game was just an extremely well-quarterbacked game, period. Yeah. Great play by Dak, great stuff by Kellen Moore, and then good weapons, just slicing and dicing you down the field and you just wish there was more resistance you wish there was the ability to constrict space you wish there was more aggression with blitzing getting the pass or whatever just something that more aggression just compete football physical ah like they just it feels like they're just sitting back there and they're just taking it and they're just taking it and they're, t- and they're taking it so that frustration is still there when you turn on the film uh the way that dallas eventually got to their spots where they were putting up points in the second half and they were throwing the football more effectively uh was in the first half they wanted to see if they could uh Beat the Eagles' second level run in the football. They want to see if they get Zeke going, get Pollard going, win in, win in the in the hole between the tackles, win with their boundary screens, win with quick stuff underneath. And the Eagles were doing a nice job with that. Eventually, they decided to stop going heavy. They started going more spread. You saw a lot of four wide formations. You saw a lot of empty formations. And then you have guys like Josiah Scott isolated in space, the nickel, right? Who's going to have to be part of the run fit and part of the, the interior defense, the second level. Kaiser White. I mean, they they. They hammered Kaiser all, all game. Worst they, game of the season, yeah. I thought. They for circled Kaiser 43. Yeah. yeah. And, and this is this is the this, we've talked a lot about Kaiser and kind of like just how good is Eagles linebacking core. Edwards had some good plays. He also had some bad plays, right? They they, they attacked him in coverage as well when they couldn't get Kaiser. Uh when the, the Eagles went to their five man fronts and the Cowboys were able to go wide, they forced the Eagles to then drop one of us on Reddit, drop Patrick Johnson, who's on the field a little bit into coverage, and then they had the ability to take advantage of those matchups too. So Can uh, I stop you there for a sec? Because yeah. I had a question uh, about that. There were, yeah, there were like second and sevens in this game, you know, not necessarily rundowns where the Eagles stayed in those five man fronts. And you, and I looked and I said, why is like Linville Joseph uh, at nose tackle and why are they playing these fronts on second and seven? I don't know if that was something you had thought about until I just asked you, but I, I did want to ask you uh, mm-hmm. what you thought about that because I thought that was a little weird. Because Dallas is run heavy on offense and those downs. Right. And okay. on, on tendency, at least like off of my, my expectation, I don't know exactly what the numbers are on the top of my head, but the Cowboys are pretty heavy since they've had Kellen Moore, pretty heavy run on second and long team. So like that second and seven where you're kind of on, on the on the neutral, right? You're not sure exactly what it is. The Cowboys tend to be run heavier than most teams in those instances. Uh, and I think like this entire game was a game of tendencies, right? Like the, the huge A.J. Brown slug on the third play of the game. 
Yeah, it's because we know they're sitting on slants because that's how we beat him in the first game. The CeeDee Lamb touchdown against James Bradbury. James Bradbury was positive that was a slant, baby. He was four yards inside. He was sitting on it. And then it ends up being a a route to the corner. Uh, This entire game was was about tendencies and tendency breakers. Uh, These teams knew each other super well. There was a lot of faint, counterfeit, punch, counterpunch that was going on, which is really cool to see. But I think you saw a lot of that because of the run heaviness. And if there's a, a game to argue for running and running ineffectively in the first half to set up play action on early downs instead of passing on early downs in the second half, this is a game for that argument, right? Like the nerds talk about this a lot. Like, do you need to run to set up play action? From a league-wide perspective, no. In this game, the Eagles are just sitting with the nose tackle so, so much, right? Uh, Denis, uh, our, our friend, uh, he had the charting in terms of what personnel they were in, and they were in a, f- a five-man front over 50% of the snaps in this game, which, okay, like, that's not the first time the Eagles have done that. That's not super rare. It's not super crazy. It is annoying when the opposing quarterback is like 24 for 35 and has three touchdowns. Yeah. You're like, well, that's part of the reason why you have that fifth defensive lineman on the field. Uh, and so the Cowboys were able to get the Eagles into those five-man looks in part because they're, they're, they've established run heaviness on those downs, parks they established run heaviness early in the game, and in part because Gannon just likes to be there. It's what Gannon likes to do. And then they find an isolation, right? They find a Josiah Scott. They find a TJ Edwards. They find a Kaiser White. They get their tight ends. They, you know, they're getting routes from Dalton Schultz and Jake Ferguson from inside the formation, in the core, right? We're not spreading out our Travis Kelsey alignment. No, they wanted to leave him attached to the formation so that TJ's on him, so that Kaiser's on him. And then they throw the football to them, and they generate yards after the catch, right? They're able to separate. And so those matchups, I think like that's, that's a legitimate, earnest thing to be worried about. I think that... You look at NFC contenders. Dallas clearly knows how to attack the Eagles linebackers. The 49ers, Kyle Shanahan, loves to attack linebackers in the passing game. Eagles need an answer to that question. But at the end of the day, they were they were really good up front. They were generating tons of pressure. Javon Hargrave was like an inch away from sacks on like four separate plays. Hassan Reddick, that sack fumble. I have no idea how the Eagles didn't get that football. Josh Sweat was causing problems. Milton Williams had a great game. They were awesome up front. Bradbury and Slay generally played really well. I thought the Slay... Uh, uh, illegal contact was pretty ticky-tack, and then Bradbury obviously gave up the one big touchdown. Your stars did what your stars typically do. It's just the Cowboys did a really nice job finding the, the weak links. And even then, third and 30 conversion, third and 13 touchdown to Michael Gallup. They fumbled that they didn't recover. The Eagles had him up against the ropes. They had the, the, the kill shot. They had the win so much, and then just didn't get the bounce that they needed. That's a tough one. This was a very close game. Could have gone so many different ways so easily. I don't walk away nearly as... DEFCON four alarm bells as I thought I might from the defense. Still stuff that matters, but it's like the age-old Gannon stuff that matters. It's not like there was a lot, there was something new there that was like, holy smokes, Eagles are in trouble. Yeah, I, I agree with some of the stuff. I probably, you know, here, the big picture thing is I've had concerns the entire, you know, going into the season, I thought, right. are they, is this defense going to be good against competent quarterbacks? And they've been really good against competent quarterbacks. So what's the next step? Can they have a good game against a very good quarterback? And that has not happened in two years, and it didn't happen in this game. I mean, they they got sliced up by Dak Prescott. You're right. There are plays in this game where you just tip your cap. I mean, him getting out of Avante Maddox's grasp and making a play on third down, that's a great play. His touchdown to Michael Gallup, where he's rolling to his right. I mean, that 
is a fantastic play where there's literally nothing you can do on that play. So there are plays where you have to tip your cap to him. Uh, at the same time, I mean, when you see, you know, whatever the numbers are, whatever charting service you want to use, 24 for 24 against zone coverage, or I think, you know, PFF True Media had it 22 for 23 against zone coverage. That, to me, uh, if you're an Eagles fan, should frustrate you. And I think the film backed up those numbers. I mean, in the second half, they started to play more man coverage, and you saw they had some really nice snaps of man coverage. It wasn't perfect. They had guys get beat in man coverage for sure, but you had Bradbury on Michael Gallup on the right side, forced incompletion, third down, and the drive. You had uh, Kaiser White on Tony Pollard down the right sideline, and Dak pretty much just has to kind of throw it away. Uh, They got some pressure up front. End of drive. You had uh, a Kayvon Wallace uh, in in the one was was that Gallup uh, I think on the crosser there in man coverage forced incompletion. They had the, uh, uh, and the so, slant this third and five before they kicked the field goal. Kayvon against CD in the slot, and then Marcus Epps comes down and robs from the other side. They, just, they, yeah. they talk about tendency, right? They they left Kayvon on CD, knowing Dak's going to go here, knowing they're going to get Epps there. They take away the slant. They force the scramble. Like There were so many of those situational calls that worked for them. And, and they were, like, to Yannon's credit, they're pulling that off with, like, not the best depth in man coverage. That's tough to do. So there, there were impressive moments there with that man coverage. Yeah, so there were adjustments that were eventually made. I think it uh, certainly took a little while. You know, I didn't watch this game, and I, I hear what you're saying about the linebackers. Again, I thought Kaiser White uh, played poorly in this game to the point where I want, like, I didn't think he was moving well in this game. So it was to the point where I was like, is he playing with an injury or something? But I didn't look at this as like the Cowboys are just picking on the linebackers, and that's my number one headline. I mean, I thought they had uh, all sorts of breakdowns uh, across the board or guys getting beat um, across the board in this game you know they had the 36 yard touchdown I don't know what you thought about that one it looked like they were in cover three I don't know if somebody is supposed to carry uh CD Lamb in that situation or if Slay is just not uh deep enough there but they had that they had the 26 yard completion on third down versus cover two which I you know I guess TJ Edwards is you know I I don't know what you thought on that one I guess he's supposed to get uh, back there it looked like he was sinking I don't know if it was Tampa two or cover two but they kind of split the safeties there and threw it uh, in between them you mentioned the slay penalty on fourth and eight where you can't get off the field there so yeah I definitely in my notes I'm looking I had a couple Edwards for sure against Schultz in man coverage you have Josiah Scott against C D Lamb uh, there in the slot which. I don't know. If you're going to play man coverage, I don't know. Can Darius Slade just not play man coverage against CD Lamb in the slot? Like, I think he's, yeah. you know, in Detroit, that was something he was capable of doing. So, like, in a code red situation like this, where it's Lamb in the middle of the field just killing you, I still wonder if you're, why you right. don't do that. I know you don't want to give up tendencies, but I don't know. I and know I'm rambling, but those are yeah. some of the things that I kind of had written down. And that's here. the annoying thing is if Gannon's here on this pod right now, he grabs his mic and he goes, well, we have to hide tendency. We can't, we can't, if we put Slay in the slot they know what we're doing because gannon's entire like everything is you can't you can't tip tendency right everything is what we can't we can't uh id what we're doing the problem with that is when you're okay we can't tip tendency when you live in a five down front uh and you're not going to drop one of those players on one of those edges in man coverage right that's really hard to do it's very difficult to ask hassan reddick or patrick johnson like okay if they could stay on an inline tight end maybe but even then it's going to be tough for them to defend the run so if we're living a five down front you lose a body in man coverage typically all right well guess what i just found tendency 
Because now I know you don't want to play man when you're in your five downs. You want to play zone. And when you play zone, I got Dak, I got CD, I got my tight ends. I feel fine. You know what I'm saying? I'll, I'll live there all day. And again, that's why I say like Dallas did not run the ball successfully, but their insistence on running the ball, I do think mattered in terms of keeping Gannon in five down fronts for as long as he was in the course of this game. It then gets them into the looks they want to get into, right? If you're going to play man coverage, you don't have a whole player, right? And that's where like the Dalton Schultz throw against TJ Edwards becomes so much more valuable because there's no rat. There's no guy in the middle that Edwards can play with leverage against. So it's so much easier to win that rep because there's no little hole player. The, uh, the CD Lamb throw over TJ Edwards, I think that was quarters. I think it's true quarters split, uh, split safety. And it's just, it's one of those throws where like, cd lamb's route isn't okay go 18 yards and break it's go to like find the midpoint of these three players turn around and Dak's gonna put the ball right between your numbers sometimes it's a beater sometimes the other guys are good right if yeah. the the tricky and thing i is, think that was the play where they jumped off sides right and, and greg olson was saying they was that the four verts uh yes play where yeah, yeah, yeah. yes right Which, okay yeah i'm not as i'm not as convinced as greg was that that the entire cowboys yeah, receiving either. core adjusted to four verts but regardless yeah uh the, th- the thing is, like, that's just a beater. It's tough to beat that one. With that said, when you look at a lot of other teams who play quarters, they have better coverage linebackers than the Eagles do, right? So, like, is it TJ Edwards's fault? No. If he's Fred Warner, does that route get completed? No. That's not a fair comparison, but... That's what I was going to say. Yeah. How many, How many though, are how many linebackers right. in the NFL are carrying that to the point where they're getting a hand on, on that in that play? I mean, yeah. I would say it wouldn't be a lot. And so then, so then what you do, you go to the next step and you say, all right, well, what are the teams that play a lot of quarters and don't have a Fred Warner do? And their safeties play tighter to routes, right? Their safeties will play lower. They'll play more aggressively downhill into those. Look at what the Jets do with, with Jordan Whitehead relative to having CJ Mosley as their middle linebacker, right? Well, why aren't the Eagles doing that? You got Reed Black there. And you don't know if Reed can can play that low and then run with routes down the field, right? And so this is how like your, your cascading injuries start to become a problem. And that's where you want Gannon to be a little bit more aggressive. That's where you want Gannon to say, like, hey, they always throw the seam ball. Like, have Reed stick it. Like, Co- coaching point should be drive down on this, collision, take a hit. And they, they, they wanted to play with, like, more safety, and they, they left a little bit more of that space intermediate than I think that they should have. He's done that before. That goes back to when they play elite quarterbacks. Elite quarterbacks find room in this defense because Gannon just yeah. doesn't have that that aggressive tone to it where like they they decide to take risks and get and and go crazy on routes until third and 30 when they decide to start freaking rotating coverage with josiah scott for no freaking reason which drove me up the wall that's just that that play was that i I think he tilted i think he thought they should have got the first down fumble and he was really mad that they didn't and he like wanted to like get a, a nail in the coffin play and like get a pick or something uh, i don't know maybe he told him maybe he didn't that was a, a terrible play call in my opinion that was a game losing play and the eagles had like four of those we're just like yeah. like the avante maddox sack that wasn't a sack the son reddick fumble the third and third the third and goal the third and 30 they had so many opportunities to get three or get seven points off the board from these cowboys and then they would have been okay and they didn't but that's how it goes sometimes if they play dallas again which there's a solid chance they will I feel good about their ability to get some of the stops that they didn't get to make some of the adjustments that they need to make and to have a better defensive outing. We haven't even talked about the fact that they were given three short fields, right? And all, and some of those short fields in critical situations, uh, like late in the game in the fourth quarter. I feel more confident in their ability to be better. I don't think they would win that game on defense, though. You would need the offense to be able to produce points the way it did in this game. The other thing is to talk about how good this defense is against elite quarterbacks. Dak's the best quarterback in the NFC playoffs, right? Yeah. Like there's like 
I mean, even if, else, yeah. even if this, like if this era Aaron Rodgers makes it, if this era Tom Brady makes it, I'm taking Dak over both those guys in terms of how Dak's playing right now. Brock, oh, yeah. Kirk, Daniel Jones, Sam Darnold, Jared Goff. I mean, the, the NFC is not a good quarterback run. So yeah. I am worried about Gannon's defense against the great quarterbacks they might catch in February when they face the AFC. But in the NFC, if you can dodge Dallas or if you can just get a couple better coin flips against Dallas, I think they'll be all right. I would be concerned about that. Yeah, it, well, it, it's similar to what you said. I mean, if they face the Cowboys again in the playoffs, yeah, maybe you're a little bit better. I don't know that you're going to be a lot better. I don't have confidence that they would be a lot better. I mean, a lot of it honestly seems to me with this defense that when they win their one-on-ones, specifically up front and the pass rush creates havoc uh, against good quarterbacks, you have a chance. Uh, when they're not doing that, um, I think you're going to get picked apart yeah. a little bit. They don't have the scheme uh, or the talent in the back seven with these injuries, with the depth they don't have the talent for that they got to win up front so that's where we are wait now where do you think i i was looking this up um just that i know it's not as simple as man versus zone but you know where they rank in epa per play uh per pass play when they play man coverage this year it's a, it's not a huge sample it's about 100 to 150 uh snaps of man coverage but what what would your guess be i'm at i mean like they i would imagine they rank top six top seven it's also a selection thing because Gannon yeah. only only plays man when he's absolutely positive. It's going to be That's great true. for him. Yeah, which like, you know, he needs to play more man coverage. He needs to live with losing some reps sometimes. Yeah, they're first. They're first in EPA per pass play when they yeah. play man coverage. They're third in success rate uh, and they play man at the 20th highest rate. Again, I'm not saying it's the it's the one solution that will solve everything. However, as you're saying, there was a moment where I would have liked to seen earlier in that game where you say, all right, this isn't working. Let's move. Let's take some chances. Let's be aggressive. I mean, James Bradbury was pressing Michael Gallup out of bounds. I mean, he was like, James. Is Brad- so good, I thought, man. I thought Bradbury played great in James this game. So that good. one touchdown aside, by the way, like Bradbury was fantastic um, in this game. And they've got one guy who you're really worried about in, uh, in not just one guy They're they're tight ends against the Eagles linebackers is a mismatch but basically I thought you had more options and I thought that was uh disappointing so uh, to put a bow on the third and 30 yes we talked about it after the game I posted the clip on film uh Tampa 2 Josiah Scott they're they're showing disguise then he's got to get to the back half of the field you can say well shouldn't he be able to do that he should at the same time do we need to mess around do we need to right. do this with our backup uh our backup nickel in that spot on third and 30 no why don't you just line up in your coverage and just chill and force them to throw it 15 yards tackle and get off the field so i, I know there's varying opinions because when i tweeted out the link people are saying oh come on scott can that that's all on scott uh make it easy for your players that's coaching yeah. specifically with the backup and so i am going to put that um a lot on gannon and the other thing is is people like absolutely scott's angle could have and should have been better that throw that late in the down that far down the field to the sideline typically doesn't hit the receiver in stride without him slowing down. That's a bananas throw. Yeah, right? like the fact that Scott throw. comes in flat to that, especially if he's not played safe that much, is totally understandable. Because usually when a guy tries to throw 50-yard hash to the sideline throw, yeah. the receiver has to slow down for the ball a little bit. <laughs> Dak puts it in an unbelievable spot. It's just third and 30, you should not be calling a play. You should be calling it everybody stand 20 yards downfield defense. Yeah, it's right. Just, it, it, it was such, a, such an impactful gaffe, total gaffe. So there you go. All right, question number two. Bob asks, 
Can you discuss the possibility of the Eagles playing a bland defense on purpose on Christmas Eve as seeding has them facing the Cowboys in the playoffs if things hold as is and Dallas wins its wild card matchup? I can, I can take this one. First, uh, I don't believe that uh, theory really for a second. I watched this and I thought they were trying to win the game. I mean, they have a stunt with Hassan Reddick on the first series, the second series. They have Kaiser White uh, mugging the a gap and then dropping. That was the play where he didn't run with Michael Gallup and Dak finds Gallup there. They had an Avante Maddox blitz. That was uh, the play where Dak got out of his grasp on the second possession. Uh, and then they adjusted in the second half. Like they were doing different things in the second half. So this, to me at least, looked like most of their defensive performances where they're just trying to win the game. And I don't think they said, hey, maybe there's a little thing here and there. But I thought for the most part, uh, this was them trying to win the game. Uh, Agree or disagree? Yeah, the Eagles don't run bland defense when they don't want to win the game. They run bland defense. <laughs> yeah, that's what they. That's what they do. And when you have this much talent, and I, it, a lot of it makes sense. There's parts of it that don't. We've talked about these parts, uh, but in general, no. The Eagles did not walk out with a like let's hide our stuff on defense. They were throwing weird stuff. They got free rusher, Avante Maddox pressures. They were yeah. getting guys down the pipe, man. They had Dominican Sue like you know I get free on a protection call like they Gannon had some aggressive blitz calls in this game they tried to beat the Cowboys and they again like a lot of what they did on defense makes sense and was good and then they just lost in some leverage spots and they had some bad matchups uh I think that that yeah they were trying to win this game defensively I don't think there was any gamesmanship involved all right we'll take a quick break and come back with question number three Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddleboards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, back on the Ringers Philly special. Question number three from Matt. Hey, guys, love the show. What, in your opinion, is the answer at slot with Avante Maddox out? Uh, and then Dayniz asked, as a big Chauncey Gardner-Johnson fan, how does Ben think he should be used when and if he returns? If Maddox is out for the playoffs, he seems to miss assignments more than any other secondary player uh, earlier this year. Is that a concern when considering changing his position this late in the year. Also, uh, Ben, we got multiple questions about Strap. Cravon. Yeah, Cravon LeBlanc. was tweeting. He, 
He's tweeting that he's ready. Just come sign me up. So for those who don't know, Avante Maddox, I think out indefinitely. I don't know if they said the mm-hmm. year or not. Everything between the lines sort of uh, seems to indicate that Avante Maddox is not going to be back in time to help this team. Maybe that changes uh, and they get some good news there. But uh, what, And Gardner Johnson, of course, right now is not practicing. I think they could have opened the window for him to practice today. We're taping this late Wednesday afternoon. They did not do that. So it sounds like he will not be back for the Saints. We'll see if he's back uh, for week 18 or the playoffs. I think based on this question, we can kind of assume that he's at least an option for the playoffs. So uh, what do you think in terms of who's playing nickel and what Gardner Johnson's role should be, assuming he comes back healthy? Yeah. If I have my druthers, I'm more likely to get Chauncey on the field for Josiah Scott and leave Reed out there than I am to get Chauncey on the field for Reed and leave Josiah out there. Nickel, I agree. More happens. There's more going on. There's more in plays that are going to be impacted by your performance relative to weak safety. Uh, When they have Chauncey in there, they got the weak safety into a spot where he made more important plays. Like I said, like... If Chauncey were healthy for this game, they wouldn't have played that CD Lamb seam the way that they did. They would have asked Chauncey to go up and get on and get connected to CD much earlier in the down. With Reed, they don't do that, right? But in general, like your nickel, he's going to be involved in the run fit. He's going to uh, be uh, play short yards. He's going to rally up and tackle. Like he's going to be at line of scrimmage. There's just going to be more action. Uh, the other thing is, I think that when they do play man coverage, which they don't do a lot of, like you said, 20%, 20th ranked in the league, but I think there'll probably be more opportunities for matching man coverage in the playoffs when you're kind of like, you know, the going gets tough and you're, and you're, and you're, you're in these must win opportunities. That's where you want Chauncey relative to Scott, right? Like Scott did some good stuff in zone in this game. It's just man coverage wise. He just doesn't have the, the, the juice at this point. He doesn't have the size, doesn't have the recognition, doesn't have the technique. So you want Chauncey there in the slot. I, We'll be curious to see how Chauncey feels about that because I know that a lot of Chauncey is him wanting to play actual safety and get paid like an actual safety. I think it'll be okay. I think it's a playoff push and there's injuries and he'll get it. And he's got six interceptions at safety this year, so he's proved his point. Um, but you gotta you have to handle that locker room aspect of it, right? I think there'll be packages where he's the deep safety and packages where Josiah's out there, and I think that'll make sense too. Uh, the final note is the communication note, which I think that he there were communication issues early in the season when Chauncey was out there and then Chauncey got hurt and we've gone later in the season and there's still communication issues. Like, like you brought up the CD lamb 36 yard touchdown, the cover three thing, which is the same issue they had against Washington, like five weeks ago where they don't know how to like these three receiver sets and TJ pushes over and the slot is pushed over. Like they don't know what they're doing. Like they're, they're, they've made that mistake multiple times. I don't think Chauncey is as much of the culprit for some of those miscommunications as we may have previously thought. So I'm not super concerned about moving him to nickel in that regard, it wasn't. It wasn't Washington. It was Houston. They had that issue against Houston. Excuse me. I, I don't think Chauncey is as big of a culprit as we thought. I think that you know he was a new guy getting adjusted to a new defense. But I wouldn't be too concerned about like communication issues moving him to nickel. I I would play him at nickel. Like, you know, for the reasons you laid out. Also, like this is where he was a really good player. Was at nickel uh, for the Saints. I mean, he had played some safety, but he was not a full time safety. Like like you said, he wanted to play safety because he thought uh, there was going to be a bigger payday if he was a good player at safety. 
I didn't think he was a great player for the Eagles at safety this year. I thought he was fine. I thought he was competent. I would not have said he was, you know, wildly above average. I think those six interceptions are pretty misleading. I don't know. You know, there are different skill sets, obviously, with him and Reed Blankenship. Overall, I don't know that there's a huge gap in how Blankenship uh, in just performance, how Blankenship has played safety and how Gardner Johnson has played safety. And I think there's a potential for a big upgrade in how Gardner Johnson could play nickel compared to how Josiah Scott uh, has played nickel. And so, yeah, I, I would absolutely be playing him at nickel. I'm with you. The contra- If this were week four and you asked him to do this, I think he would probably be pretty annoyed by it. But we're talking about the playoffs here. He's put on film what he can do at safety. He's got the interception numbers. And so uh, I would anticipate that it would not be a huge issue. Maybe I'll be uh, wrong about that. So that would be my plan. Now, again, we don't know when he's coming back. We don't know how healthy he's going to be when he comes back. But that would be my plan if I were the Eagles would be to have him replace Josiah Scott and keep Reed Blankenship back there at safety. Uh, as for Craven LeBlanc, I mean, listen, I don't know. I, lo- I-, I loved watching LeBlanc when he was uh, on the Eagles. He's a fun player. He's a scrappy player. Uh, what was what was his quote? You, you didn't see any uh, uh, piss running down my leg, I think, was his thing after he made the one play uh, at the end. So I thought he was, he was a fun player. At this point, I don't know. I, I guess if you don't think Gardner Johnson's coming back and, you know, it wouldn't hurt to get a look at him and see, can he be better than Josiah Scott? But uh, if you're getting Gardner Johnson back, then I would not anticipate that they do that. So, you know, take a look. I wouldn't be against it. I liked him as a player. He has not played since 2020. He was on IR and then waived by the Raiders this year, has not had a team this year. Yeah, so that's my thing. We'll I like LeBlanc off of I remember how he played in 2020 to be a good two years ago nickel yeah. option. I don't know what shape he's in, and don't tell Cravon LeBlanc I said that because he tweets wild <laughs> on Twitter and I think he would take that personally. I just don't know. <laughs> there we go. All right. Question number four. DJ says, love the pod. This is whatever the podcast equivalent is of must-see TV for the Philly faithful. Question. If Gardner Minshew plays well, does it diminish Jalen Hurts' MVP candidacy by validating the argument that the system and not Hurts is driving the team's success? So I thought this would be a good opportunity not to, not only to answer that question, but to talk about what we saw from Gardner Minshew and the rest of the offense Uh, On film, as you're listening to this, Jalen Hurts did not practice today on Wednesday. I still think it's going to be Minshew uh, against the Saints on Sunday, although who knows? Maybe they will surprise us later in the week. Ben, what did you think of Minshew? What do you think of the question? So Minshew generally played well. Uh, The Eagles ran so much zone read stuff, and he just never kept it, and the Cowboys had to respect it, and I found that hilarious. Uh, He's got to have to keep one against the Saints because they're not going to respect him if they doesn't do it so i thought that was i was a little disappointed that that was like their go-to like a little surprised i guess that that was their go-to run scheme like they've got a lot of tools in the bag as we've talked about before but this was a high percentage like you said shotgun uh inside zone read was i I didn't chart it but i would have to think it made up like between you know 60 to 75 percent of all their runs here yeah yeah so i found that very funny and they still got good work out of it they did they're a great zone blocking line right uh the return of dallas goddard oh brother he's such a good player he is 
He looked Locked incredible up. in this game. This? I, now, he should have got more than three uh, yeah. targets. If we want to, the staff, I thought overall did a good job, but three targets in this game, yeah. given how good he looked on those three targets, it's like, oh my gosh, he should have had like 10 targets. This but Goddard, it's great yeah. news going forward for them. This Goddard game is a pass catcher and then as a blocker. I agree, he should have got more targets. Maybe go back and look at his contract and remember that like he's a huge cap hit in 2024, 2025, but 2023, he's like, four million or something i was just like holy yeah. that's unbelievable man it's so funny uh so kudos to i, I thought that goddard coming back was a big part of their run blocking i thought the line did an extremely good job up front sam all had a really nice game and they were able to run the ball effectively oh really see i thought say i i didn't i thought sam was more up and down now maybe there were some good uh reps in there that you liked and i'm not an o-line aficionado but i found myself writing his name down more uh in this game as someone who was, who was getting beat a little bit but i thought it was anyway. good i thought it was quite good run blocking same all pass blocking is yeah. pretty typically the the fifth best of the Eagles offensive linemen, in my opinion. Uh, and he lost some interior reps. I thought run blocking, he was fine in this game. They also like okay. the Cowboys will do the thing where they just choose a B gap and they have one of their defensive ends just like knife into that B gap right at the snap. There's movement at the snap. And that's really hard on guards. I struggled to count yeah. that against guys. And like, I, there's definitely like a second quarter run. I remember where Sam Allah lost on one of those. And it's like, all right, well, Michael Parsons is extremely fast. Like, ah, like, that's a tough one for me to get yeah. against him. Um, Minshew though, the one thing that, uh, you notice an accuracy drop off for sure, right? Uh, led to some incompletions, led to some sailed footballs, led to some incredible Devontae Smith highlights. Uh, holy oh gosh. smokes, what Ooh. a game for Slim. Unbelievable. Um, but also led to some interceptions, right? This was a game that really emphasized how good the Eagles' pass catchers are in terms of Dallas Goddard, Devontae Smith, and A.J. Brown, how often they corrected, how often their catch radius showed up, contested catch, taking hits over the middle of the field. Because when Minshew threw to Quez... It was in we got a next question on Quez, so don't go yeah. go off on Quez uh, just yet. But yeah, yeah. So it's just like you know the uh, inaccuracy erasing aspect of the Eagles' pass catcher. So much of the the, uh, the Jalen Hurts experience has been wow, like he's gotten so much more accurate, so much improvement year in year out. Minshew was a reminder that there's accuracy issues. The other part of that was like Minshew just refuses to set his freaking feet. He's like he has this idea of himself as like an Aaron Rodgers, and he's like throwing with like no feet, kind of like Kyler Murray stuff. Like he's like hopping and throwing. And he's got accuracy drain and power drain. Like, just set your feet and throw. They do run a little college offense, like the RPOs and all the exchanges and whatnot. And I think that that, that made him be a little bit more chill on his feet. But that's just something where, like, a, a player has been in the league for this long, has to improve there. As it is, Minshew is a very competent backup, right? Knows the throws, knows the reads, is generally accurate, even though there was a drop off in accuracy. Willing to be aggressive, lets his receivers make a play for him. So long as he's willing to like keep it on one out of every ten zone reads, the Eagles' offense works pretty well with him. There's no reason they shouldn't beat the Saints, uh, or at least put up decent points against the Saints with him at him at quarterback. He's one of the high level backups in the league. And then offensively, they really didn't hadn't changed too much. No screens. You know, less less of a screen day. Uh, but in general, yeah. just like, you know, similar route concepts. They had the slugger, like I said, to, to um, Deja Brown. They had the, the, the fake Y cross, bend back to the sideline for Dallas Goddard. A lot of their, their favorite hits to win their isolations, they played with Minshew, and, and Minshew was able to hit them. So generally, like, you know, step down from Jalen Hurts, clearly. Uh, but solid player, solid backup. I think it takes a little bit away from Hurts' MVP case, but it doesn't completely abolish it. Yeah, I mean, watching it, it is clear that Hurts is a, like, 
uh, I thought significantly better player in the areas you outlined it and some others uh, as well there. I mean, I watched it and it's like, you don't want to be hard on a backup. Like a backup comes in and you have 442 yards and 25 uh, first downs and you put up over 30 points. There are definitely more ups and downs when you watch the film on Minshew than it feels like watching live, at least in my opinion. And this was the case last year against the Jets as well. I mean, I, I thought that first third down, maybe he had a chance at Devontae Smith there uh, for the third for, for the touchdown where instead he takes yeah, off. He should have thrown that. Yeah. He scrambles. Uh, later, he misses Quez Watkins for what could, you know easily could have been a 30-yard touchdown there. He's tailed a pass to Devontae Smith that could have been picked off. That would have been a third interception. I thought he played a little panicked at the end. I'm sure part of this is how he's being coached, but the end of the first half, it's just like, all right, ball's got to come out. If it's, if, you, if it's not there right away, just throw it right away uh, for sure. And even at the end of the game, a little bit, just a little jittery, that calm that we talk about with Jalen Hurts that we probably take for granted. I thought that was really hammered home in those two situations in this game. So listen, I think he's fine uh, as a backup. I think he can operate the offense. I watched it, didn't go Minshew's playing great. I said, all right, the coaching staff and the supporting cast, yeah, they're absolutely uh, a huge factor on this football team. You mentioned it, Brown, they throw the slant on the first uh, RPO, and then the next one, they go sluggo, and he's wide open for 48 yards. I mean, that's fantastic coaching. I love that early in the game against Trayvon Diggs to just get him thinking, all right, you're not going to be jumping these uh, all day long, or this is what we're going to do to you. That was fantastic. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the Goddard route. That was beautiful against uh, J. Ron Curse. I thought, I thought the Cowboys had a hard time uh, sticking with the Eagles in man coverage. I mean, the Eagles yeah. had good Eagles quite ran a few man beater, here. man beater, man beater, man yeah. beater, man beater. Honestly, it was the opposite as the sensation for the Eagles defense. Once the Cowboys started exactly. getting into zone, it was a little bit like, oh, we're making this guy think, we're making him hold the ball. Yes. Because the Eagles were just dialing up man beaters. And Dallas is like, man, this Deron Bland impresses me. Like they've got guys who can hang, but like Anthony Barr, Damon Clark, like no, they 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 were they were getting Kenny yeah. Gainwell had like, a good day receiving, right? And something you don't see a lot. Yes, with he had a big because, catch there, yeah. twenty yarder or so. Yeah. So yeah, so, the, the, uh, the man beaters all over the place. Good good coaching by the Eagles offensive staff. You're just used to it at this point. The wrinkle with uh, Devontae Smith on the 40-yard touchdown off of that flat RPO that they killed him with in the first game. And then, yeah, yeah, Devontae Smith, I mean, I don't know how much more we can say, but my gosh, he talk about just saving them in situations with just beautiful, jaw-dropping, acrobatic body control. I mean, that one on the, uh, was it it was the last series where he's, if he doesn't come down with that, that's an interception. You see Donovan Wilson is standing there with his arms out, and if that ball does now, if Devontae Smith doesn't get a hand on that, that is a game-ending interception. That's, so he was yeah. fantastic. First and 10 for the 41, and they end up getting a 20-yard a 20 gain from, from Devontae Smith. Uh, he's on that, that deep in-breaking route. This this catch will not make top 10 catches of the 2022 NFL season on the NFL's YouTube channel. It'll be like, you know, three and a half minutes into Devontae Smith 2022 season highlights, you know, videos put up by the whatever. This is one of the 10 most difficult catches I've seen made in the NFL this season. To hit the brakes as hard as he does and get his hips back around and be and then and track the football, catch it at full extension with his his momentum's going away from the football. The yeah. ball's over here, his momentum's going that way. It's going the other way. That is the hand strength and the tracking and the instinct like that that requires, you just that's not teachable. That's not repable. You can't take an NFL receiver and throw that exact pass to him a thousand times and he's good at catching it. Like it's just, it's yeah. an absurd 
absurdly athletic yeah. catch to make. It's the best catch he's made, I think, maybe in his entire career, including like the Washington climb, the, the ladder one, one against the sideline, like the toe tap. Uh, it, unbelievable catch. That yeah. like if they if they score on that drive, it's that's that's the game winning play right there. Yeah. And earlier, I mean, they, the instincts where he's Minshew's kind of throwing him uh, into a hit and, uh, you know, he just pops back up. I, I thought when he was drafted, I was making some Iverson comparisons, and I think he's got that uh, in him. I mean, he is small, but he plays like he's the toughest guy out there. So he was fantastic uh, in this game and continue, just, a, just a fun player that you're going to get to watch if you're an Eagles fan, I think, for years to come. All right. Question number five. Tony asks, Question. is it time we... Is it time? Yeah, oh, good. I, I didn't even realize that I did that, honestly. How about it? Is it time we see more Zach Pascal over Quez Watkins? No, Watkins has the speed factor, but feel like the offense could use Pascal's bigger body for some of those tough plays. Quez was overpowered on both interceptions against Dallas. What do you think? More, more Pascal, less Quez? So, interceptions. The first one is like 80% Quez. He has to move with Minshew as Minshew moves in the pocket. He has to feel space. He has to know that that throw is going to come to his right shoulder, and he's got to move with it. That's like wide receiver one-on-one. you got to have that feel. He doesn't. Because the defender's on his left. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He doesn't. Minshew right. tries to throw him away from the defender, but Quez's feet are planted. His heels are in the ground. They should not be at that time. The defender comes over his, his right shoulder, takes the ball away. The second one is like 55% on Quez. Because there's more, way more opportunity for that ball to be accurate. That's more of an inaccurate pass that forces Quez to catch it away from his frame. And then Deron Bland, who I'm just obsessed with this young man, 26 for the Cowboys, just wants it batter. Just fifth-round rookie out of Sacramento State. Wants it! Right? And goes, <laughs> contacts the catch point. First, make sure that he's going to break up the pass and then ends up with the ball in his, in his mitts and what ends up being like a huge game-winning play for the Cowboys. So the first one, I think, is more on Quez than the second one, even though the second one's more impactful. The second one is also more embarrassing because Quez just got absolutely big boyed, just 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 beat up. With that said, they like they should not more Zach Pascal instead of Quez. I don't think helps. I think Quez is a better receiver than Zach Pascal. At the very least, I think his speed matters more. I think it's it's more valuable. I think the threat of him going deep. I think teams know that sixteen is a threat with the ball in his hands and so on and so forth. Threat of the ball in his hands and, and a threat down the field. So I don't think Pascal solves your problem. I think having a better third receiver solves your problem. But also, we got to remember this is a first world problem we're talking about now. The probably the best short, the best long term fix is get a veteran receiver, right? Go sign, you know, Sammy Watkins. Not Sammy Watkins; he's bad. Go sign Darius no, Slayton him. to a one year, four million dollar <laughs> deal, and throw him in there. As oh, a third I receiver. think Slayton's Slay gonna get a little more than that. I think uh, I don't well, think coming. Slayton was available option. for trade, and nobody traded. For I know he's a good ago. player. Yeah. Someone will, by the time it's March dumb. rolls around, right, someone but, will but, talk like, to themselves. Take who you want, right? Get. Yeah, you like a Marvin Jones caliber player, right? I'm just saying, like a a, a third receiver is a professional. He's got like actually like some receiving juice. Pascal's like a blocker. Get like get with that guy, be able to plug him in and be fine. That's your long term solution. Short term, your solution is just stop throwing to players who aren't 11, 88, and six. Right? It's just like the, I think the number one, like I think the the biggest difference between Gardner and Jalen was the running game and and that aspect of it. The second biggest difference was that Gardner didn't yes. know. That we funnel yes. targets here, baby. We throw it to three yes. dudes and three dudes only. Uh, and that that makes sense. That's appropriate for this offense. Uh, Quez is just, is just, he's good for a gadget play-ish. And he's good for a field stretch. 
but it's just, I don't. I, he's not a player I want targeting. I don't want to target him on slants on third downs. I don't want to target him in in you know spacing West Coast concepts. I want to funnel the ball to one of my stars and and they'll they'll pay me off for it. So I don't think Pascal solves your problem. I just think that this this offensive coaching staff got very excited about Quez having some good games and Goddard went down. They probably thought like wow like he you know like he's more reliable and he just isn't. He's still just a mercurial player. Yeah, I mean, we have to remember it's the fourth receiving option on the team. I mean, yes, you've exactly. got like AJ, it's not, you know, it's the number three wide receiver, but you also have one of the best tight ends in the NFL. So I don't know that you're going to be, you know, investing any sort of real resources into that. And I think Quest is fine. Yeah, I mean, normally your fourth receiving option probably doesn't have the ability to make plays downfield that Quez Watkins have has. I want to question now. At first, I was going to question the usage, but I think it might be wrong because when you said that about Hertz versus Minshew, that's probably more of it. I mean, the usage of Quez Watkins, like, do I want him running like an over the ball route in the middle of the field? Do I, do you know that was the first? I looked this up. Thanks. We have True Media and PFF. That was the first slant he's been targeted on. All yeah, exactly. Year long. That, like, that, that's <laughs> for good reason. That's the issue right there, right? Yeah. And that's the thing is like, you should find a way. The Eagles don't do a lot of pre-snap motion and stuff like that. You should find a way to get A.J. Brown on the slot. They got to get more A.J. in the slot and run more slants with A.J. from there, run more over the balls over the A.J. Well, I think there. on that play, A.J. Brown was in the slot and Quez was outside and it was a double slant, I think. Uh, the the second... Uh, Gardner! I think... <laughs> I could, I could be uh, wrong about that. But yeah, I mean, I just feel like, you know, there, there's, I'm sure he's run those routes before. And like you said, Jalen Hurts has been like, nah, I'm good. I'm going to get it to one of these other guys. Um, but I wouldn't be opposed to if those are the routes that it calls for that player to run on certain plays that you put Pascal in there a little bit more just because I think he'll play with a little bit more of a physicality. I mean, the play strength with Watkins, it has shown up on multiple occasions this year. And it's, I, I can't really, like blame him that much it's kind of the type of body frame he has and, and certainly you could you know, call for him to show a little more fight but at some point you want to play to your player strengths and that's not going to be it yeah. for it's Quez tough because I'm, I'm watching it right now and like the read is correct like they're pressed up on aj on the inside and quez has got space like he's got off cover There's space there yeah Quez really he's got to break this route off sooner like i don't know the more I'm watching it, he's so slow out of the break. All right, never mind. The second one's 80% quest too. He's just like, <laughs> you, you, this again, this goes like awareness. It goes like playing receiver. Like, what do you know? You got to know, okay, this is the route concept. This is what my quarterback's going to be seeing. He's not going to be able to take AJ. AJ's going to pull that, that press defender out of the window. I got to get six yards. There's no reason to break this at 10. Just go, just get speed out in the break and go. And, 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 and he's going to put it right on you. Like, it's tough. I get why Gardner threw it. I really do. Okay, so there's your quest. There were a lot of Quest Watkins questions. I, I think the easiest answer is yeah, more Dallas Goddard should not be getting three targets in a game where we're talking this much about Quest Watkins. So uh, whether that's quarterback, all the, uh, coaching staff, whatever. Yeah, all the Quez questions because the people know who's been telling them the truth about Quez since week one. Who's been telling them the truth about Kaiser White since week one? Number is uh, the fourth target on the team. I know. Fourth, I know. I said it. I said that. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, question number. Well, listen, if we're going to crow, then I'm going to crow about being able to get a two gapping nose tackle down at the Wawa anytime you want. I'm not going to have Very fair. Very fair. With Lyle and Joseph. All right. Question number six. 
Ed says, hey, guys, love the pod. I'm surprised you left out Lane Johnson. Oh, man, we were getting crushed for this. Yeah, Benjamin. Uh, this off your bubble wrap list of players the Eagles can least afford to lose. Historically, the Eagles without Lane have a losing record and have looked below average when he was hurt. Arguably, he could be a top three player you can least afford to lose. Did you leave him off because you believe in the O-line depth to a point where they can still be a top five offense without Lane Johnson? Keep up the great work. Uh, so for those who don't know, Lane Johnson left the game with an abdomen injury. There were reports that uh, he was going to have surgery, that he was going to be out for the rest of the regular season, maybe come back for the playoffs. Now that's changed. Reports today, I think starting with uh, NFL Network and then confirmed by a bunch of people, Lane Johnson is not going to have that surgery. Uh, I think I saw Les Bowen says it is a sports Les. hernia. And so it's a sports hernia. And so he's going to try to come back, it sounds like, for the playoffs. But that is going to probably be a challenge because you're not fixing the issue. You're just kind of letting it rest a little bit and playing through the pain. So uh, I guess we can address whether we should have had him in the top five and also how much you think this hurts and what you think they do at right tackle uh, in the meantime or you know, if he's not able to kind of make it back and play in the playoffs effectively. So I'm worried about Lane playing with this injury. I don't know anything about yeah. I don't know anything about injuries. I don't know how the human body works. You couldn't port, point me at a hernia. I don't know what it looks like. <laughs> with that said, I feel like I've heard sports hernia enough to know that you shouldn't be playing with one of these things. Uh, and so yes. I, I'm worried about Lane. I like I definitely don't think we'll see him until the divisional round, and I'll be curious to see what we get. I this is an important stretch for Jack Driscoll because I think if Driscoll plays well enough, and I like I like Driscoll. I think Driscoll's a solid player. I don't think he's Lane, but I think he's fine. If he can turn out some good film week 17 week 18 then is going to give them the ability to kind of really like all right we'll put lane out there we'll see what it looks like if it's not good after a couple series maybe we get driscoll in there see what the pain levels are like and it gives you some flexibility so driscoll has become a massively important player now to watch over the next couple of weeks uh i we didn't have lane on the list at least i didn't have lane on the list i had kelsey on the list because i did feel better about your tackle depth relative to your center depth and i do feel better about your ability to help a tackle right i think that that they don't have to spend any time. Like, when have we ever said at any point this season, so help out your tackles with the pass rushers? We never have, not once. And, like, my lot of lost some reps to Michael Parsons in this game. And it's like, yeah, but he's good enough that you don't have to worry about it. Though they like to be a multiple tight end team, right? And they like to use, uh, 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 you know, Jalen Hurts to account for a guy in the line of scrimmage, unblocked dude. So they're going to have a lot of ways that they can help Driscoll. It's buttons they haven't had to press before, but they're available. The coaching staff knows them. They're easy stuff. So I think that they can account for a lane injury fairly well. And feel okay about that. I think that they feel okay with their Driscoll depth. And like, let's say, God forbid, they have like a second tackle injury. Then like Dillard gets in there. Like they're really, really, really deep at tackles. So for as good as yeah. Lane is, I think that they're going to be okay. With that said, it is now, you know, it's a weird, it, they're in a weird spot. Like, I know later we get more questions about like long reaching impacts. The Eagles are the unhealthiest they've ever been. And that's a sucky thing to this say season. in week yeah. 17. That's just like, it's so inconvenient. And it does introduce doubt. So I feel generally good about Driscoll, but I would have loved to have not had to be here. And I wish I could have bubble wrapped Lane, and I did not. And that's on me. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I thought we were getting crushed for that. I mean, we I, I certainly mentioned Lane Johnson and said there are uh, like 
you know, a handful of other guys we could throw in here. Uh, I don't know that I would have changed what I said there uh, for the reasons that you just laid out. I mean, Jack Driscoll has played for them before. You have the option to move my lot over there and play Dillard at left tackle. Also, some of the on-off splits with Lane Johnson, I think, are a little misleading. I mean, he missed the most time in 2020 when the team absolutely sucked. He played seven games. So yeah, of course, the off splits are going to look terrible um, with uh, when you didn't have Lane Johnson. Him because when he's been healthy, um, those have been much better teams, partly because of him, but not all because of him. So uh, it hurts. There's no doubt about it. He's been playing great. I had him as the all pro uh, first team right tackle last year when I did that for the athletic. And I think he's played at the same level uh, he did last year, this year. So uh, it absolutely hurts, but uh, I'm kind of with you. Uh, Driscoll, the durability has been a question throughout his career. So like it would not be a shock at all if Driscoll's plan A and all of a sudden you're moving to plan B quicker than you thought you were going to. And then we will see what Lane Johnson looks like here uh, in the playoffs. So you're right that they're more injured than they've been all season. At the same time, relatively speaking, compared to other teams, I don't know that they, you know, I I think they've still been uh, pretty fortunate and pretty lucky if you assume that Jalen Hurts is going to come back in the playoffs and be, you know, over 90% healthy. I I think they've still been pretty lucky with injuries so far this season. All right. SRM Chef, question number seven. For the best Eagles podcast out there, all right, SRM Chef knows how to get his question answered. Uh, Big picture question. Where do you see Steichen and Gannon possibly landing as the coaching carousel music starts playing? Who could be possible replacements outside of Reich and Fangio? Bonus question. What speed is appropriate for pod listening? Uh, I want to start here and say this time of year, every broadcast, they show a coordinator on the sideline. They go, that guy's going to be a head coach next year. They're not all going to be head coaches next year. And so, like, I'm not convinced that both these guys are going to be gone and both these guys are going to get head coaching Same. opportunities. We know we know that there are franchises that like Gannon. We saw that last year when he interviewed for jobs. Uh, we know that Steichen, I would say, has done a very good job as a play caller at the same time. Look at the situation. He's, he's coaching for an offensive-minded head coach. He's He's coaching for probably the best O-line coach in the NFL. He's coaching a very talent, one of the most talented offenses in the NFL. So I don't want to take anything away from him. Give him credit. I think he's done a good job. They've adjusted. I've loved the wrinkles. Every time we've said something about, hey, uh, the opponent did this, how are they going to respond? They've responded and they've responded well. And so I absolutely want to give him credit. Just let's remember that the head coach is a different job. And we see this every year. It's not the same job. And so like, I don't, I know nothing about Shane Steichen's ability to like command a locker room and be like the face of an organization and that kind of thing. Maybe he'll be great at it. Uh, I don't know that he will. So I would just say, chill, wait and see offensively. I think you have options internally with Brian Johnson. If you like what he's done as the quarterback's coach and externally uh, in Frank Reich would obviously make a lot of sense. And then uh, defensively, listen, I think Gannon has done a fine job. I I don't, I'm not going to tell you without Gannon next year, the defense is going to fall apart if they have the same players. That's just how I feel. I think they're going to be fine. I honestly think there's a chance you would find someone who maybe would be Better than this Gannon. This defense would be ne- better if Fangio were calling it relative to Gannon. I'm very confident. In that. I had a I had a question. What if Wink Martindale 
and I, and I didn't have a firm answer for this. It was a thought exercise. If Wink Martindale were the Eagles head coach this year and they were just going head coach? balls to the ball. No, I'm sorry. A defensive coordinator uh, balls to the wall. We're blitzing. We're playing man all the time. How do you think the overall defensive performance would compare to what it is right now? I think they'd be worse because they're not built for that. Significantly? I, I, would, I don't. I don't think they'd be like significantly worse. The thing is, is they wouldn't be getting the biggest return on their investment, which is the defensive line, right? When you're blitzing yeah. that much, you're just minimizing the impact that you're going to get from your front as opposed to Gannon rarely blitzing, but saying, hey, like this is where I made my money and those guys win for them and they can use seven over five in the back. Like just Martindale philosophically is built for an expensive secondary and a cheap defensive front. And that's not what the yeah. Eagles have. So, but like a Fangio, if a Giro Evero were out here, which like I've been watching this Broncos defense recently, holy Moses, they like these guys I think would have the Eagles defense I think in a better spot uh, in terms of their their ability to get aggressive within this tree within this family. The 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 Sala D'Amico Ryan's kind of the new Seattle tree of a like quarter stuff. Like those guys would be great here as well. Um, who do you think if right now water gun to your head? Shout out if you I, I tell you one of the two got hired away. Gannon and Sykin. One stayed, one of the two got hired away. Which one is it? This is predictive. Not what you would do. Predictive. Which one do you think is hired away? I mean, I would have to say Gannon just because he already had, he already got looks last year. And there's something that apparently happens when he's in the room with you that convinces yeah. you that he's the second I, guy I, I would like Lombardi. to make a, I don't know. Yeah, I would like to make a very bold prediction with absolutely no basis information okay, right now. I like now. this. You've been following this Broncos ownership thing? Oh my gosh, yes. So the Broncos yeah, owner... Yeah, George Payton's got a little connection with uh, Gannon, right? Is that where you're going with this? Sorry, so go ahead. He does, but Payton's only got like influence in this coaching search because the Broncos just got bought by the Walter Walton Penner Group, and the guy who's running the team is the son-in-law of Walton, the guy who like owes the CEO of Walmart. And he does not have football... He never done this before, and he's just like he. They fired Hack, and he kicked down the door of the press conference. He's like, "I'm running this, John. Me and Condoleezza Rice. We're gonna figure out who's gonna be the head coach." Uh, this guy seems ripe to get got by a a dude selling a bill. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that's not like that's not even like super critical. Just saying like this. He's gonna. He's gonna. I think is the Broncos scream to me like they're gonna fall for like a Ra Rasis Mumba coach guy, like a Nate Hackett. Like I think could fall I think they're gonna fall for that prototype again. And I wouldn't surprise me if Gannon gets in the room with them. And Gannon's just as good at at, at selling his bill. Just talking about this is the yeah, way I Yeah, I think he's it. authentic. I mean yeah. everything you hear is he's authentic. So I don't mean to like, yeah, yeah make it as like he's a con man uh right. or I remember something, when Gannon but... took over as the DC and I started listening to his stuff and I was like, I love this guy. Like this is awesome. Like just like the way yeah. he talks about it. Like he clearly gets it. He's smart. He's a great communicator. He loves his players. Like I like from a personality dispositional communication standpoint, I'd absolutely hire that guy. Having seen his defense now, I just want something with a little more teeth. But like I, I don't think Greg Penner is gonna have that Ben Solak, I need teeth in my defense disposition. Uh so Gannon to me, there like you I go. Ben answers your question. Gan Gannon in Denver. Denver. Maybe. I, I I'm saying yeah. right now, December twenty eighth, whatever today is, uh John Gannon's the next head coach of the Denver Broncos. And Steichen stays. And Steichen Here's the thing with Steichen. Overseas. If I'm, if I'm, uh, you know, again, like, don't know, like, personality wise, like, don't know that half of it. But if I'm looking at what Steichen did this year, and my quarterback's not mobile, I don't know. Like, I think he's a good coach, but I just don't have as much proof of concept. So, like, if let's say the Cardinals' job opens up, I think the Cardinals would be rightfully very interested in Shane Steichen. But if we're talking about like 
who else is going to get fired this year? Like, say, like, like the, the the Panthers' job is open. I don't know, like, like Panthers, some, I, Colts, yeah, Colts, right? Like, Colts is a good one. Like, I don't know, unless I know I have a, a Jalen Hurts like quarterback, I just don't have as much data on Steichen, such that I don't think there's going to be as much confidence. He'll get interviews. I just don't know if he'll there'll be as much confidence. But we'll see how well the interviews, and then we'll go from there. Uh, and what is your appropriate speed for pod? Listening now, people have told me that this is only when you're on do they have to uh, slow I'm down. I'm very proud of that. Their pods. I yeah, take that you seriously. Really, yeah. You make people literally go into their app yeah. and you know move the uh, speed because I of, can't uh, prove the it because they won't tell talk. me. But I think some of the Spotify producers slow me down because I'll listen back to them back. Like, There's no way I was talking that slowly. <laughs> That's no chance. I think they got. I think they slow my audio down. I, and Cliff, right now, I bet you Cliff's grinning to himself, nodding back there because he's got to slow me down. He says he doesn't do it. I don't. I, no, no, no. Cliff's <laughs> typically good. Some other producers, nameless, who I think slow me down. Um, the appropriate speed, depending on the host, is anywhere from like 1.8 to 2. Uh, 1.5 if somebody talks particularly fast like me. This is the this is the way. It's time efficient. It gets through the conversation. You don't lose anything. 1.0 is abysmal. Anybody listening to 1.0, unacceptable. I actually agree with that. Yes. I am a 1.5. I'm a well. I'm a little slower. I'm a 1.5 person, and uh, if it's somebody who talks really fast, I'll slow it down a little bit. But I'll never go. I mean, listening to one now, the person just right. sounds like a zombie or a drunk or whatever you want to say. And I'd say listening to these uh, on faster speeds has definitely affected me as a podcast host. I talk much faster now. Like there are sometimes I'm on a podcast and someone will text me like, "Man, you were really shot out of a." Canon uh, on that podcast, and I think in real life I talk faster because I'm listening uh, on faster speeds. But I think that's fine. I mean, who cares? So uh, that's what I would say. Yeah, I've always talked uh, fast. I've always not been good at listening. If you talk slowly, and there's just now recently <laughs> in my life, this has become more acceptable because of adjusted podcast speeds. There's a payoff. There you yeah. go. All right. Uh, you know, I love this question. Eight from Jay Pizzle. Are we screwed? That's his question. Are we screwed? Uh, Jay Cap went into it a little bit further and said, am I being a Negadelphian thinking the Eagles, one, proved once again they can't stop Dak, and two, won't be able to keep scoring with the Cowboys without Lane Johnson and Micah Parsons will dominate. I'll just take that second part real quick. Uh, Lane Johnson wasn't blocking Micah Parsons for most of this yeah, game. Micah they, Parsons was on the other side. They wanted uh, Parsons versus Mylotta a lot. They were like, this is our matchup. Yeah. And Mylotta held his water. Good Mylotta game. Yeah, we. I would say we have wins and losses. I felt like Gardner Minshew definitely was not going to hold the football back there. I feel like if you had a quarterback who held it a little bit longer, we might say Parsons. Uh, he still moves beautifully. Michael Parsons right here. You can see how he can just wreck a game, and he definitely had his moments uh, in there where he did that. But where are you? I saw a clip. I haven't uh, listened or watched it yet. You were on with Simmons talking about the Eagles. You were not panicked on extra point taken, but you were concerned on Monday night with the Eagles. So answer the big question, are we screwed? Um, how do you kind of feel about this team as we enter week 17? The Eagles aren't screwed. However, the NFC is more of a three horse race than it is like Eagles. And then the guys, I think that's like, uh, I am less than a hundred percent confident that Jalen Hurts is going to be 100% himself when we get to the divisional round. Just the more like, this is this SC joint injury, I've been reading too much, man. I'm on WebMD about this injury, brother. <laughs> I'm not in a good spot. Um, 
I just think that like you know they're they're, they're presenting this face of like he's could go every week pain management, but when you hear about the time this injury usually takes, it's about like five weeks, and that would be the divisional round. So just I don't know how how good he's going to be when he gets back. I know what the hell it's going to be like. I don't know if there's a re-aggravation risk and how you kind of do that calculus. It's pretty wild. Uh, and then you lose Lane and you lose Avante, and, and Avante's a tough loss for them. And Chauncey Gardner Johnson, like they, this is the window. Like they're in their twenty-one day window, and. You know, like we did his last rate again. Like we're not sure. So there's a lot that that's going to like Jordan Davis got banged up again in this game. Concussion protocol, right? There's they're more more injured than they've ever been. At that plus, Dak's playing some of the best ball of his career, and the Cowboys I think have handled the secondary changes better than I thought they were going to. I thought they're going to be really weak, and I think they've they're not great, but they're okay. Plus, also these Niners, man. I'm I'm just waiting for Brock to have a bad game. It made me feel so much better once he does. He's got to eventually, right? He's a seventh round pick. Yeah, I like think this so. is science. But he won't. He won't do it. He's playing like super aggressive. He's like throwing the football tight windows, like shooting downfield, and nobody can punish him for it. They're so talented, the Niners are. Every position but quarterback. They're unbelievably talented. And then Shanahan's really good at operating the game from the pocket despite being on the sideline. Like his ability to manage a quarterback is crazy. So this this I the the Eagles aren't screwed. But if they have to go Dallas, San Francisco to make it to the Super Bowl, it's the hardest possible run they could get. The uh, the outcomes of the wild card round are so important to the Eagles. An upset yes. would be huge. Like six seed Giants beating the third seed Vikings would be enormous for this team, right? Dallas dropping a playoff game because Mike McCarthy can't handle you know calling plays and managing the clock would be huge. It's just Dallas and the 49ers are about as good as the Eagles are. Help with like a healthy Jalen Hurts, but Nobling Johnson. I think they're about as good, and there's a chance the Eagles' playoffs are exactly that versus Dallas versus versus San Francisco, and that's a tough run. There's no two ways around it. It's a tough run, and so the wild card round matters a lot. This this team is not, you know, head and shoulders prohibitive favorite, clearly dominant. This this is a tough race in the NFC. Let me, and I'm not used to being in this spot. Let me present the glass half full yeah. argument here. Okay. If you if you look at like 20 years from now, okay, you're looking on pro football reference at the last 20 Eagle seasons, and you see one where they are entering week 17 with over a 90% chance to lock up the number one seed in the NFC and be the only buy. And your two biggest worries in the conference are one a team coached by Mike McCarthy, and two, a team quarterbacked by Brock Purdy, like you can probably look at all those 20 seasons and you're going to say that's the best situation. And by the way, you have your top three weapons on offense are healthy. You have your starting corners are healthy and you're going to get your quarterback back, which I understand what you're saying. There's some uncertainty there. Like I hear what you're saying. There's more uncertainty now than there were was two or three weeks ago. But man, this is still a very, very nice situation to be in. If you are an Eagles fan, a situation that quite, like I said, you could go 20 years and not be in a situation this good entering week 17 or entering the playoffs. So uh, we'll see what happens. If Brock Purdy comes to your house and beats you, then you weren't a Super Bowl team. Uh, anyway, it is how I see it. And Brock Purdy has played well and the Niners are playing well. I'm not ripping Brock Purdy, but come on, that's like you have to beat Brock Purdy, a seventh round pick in your house in NFC Championship weekend if you are a Super Bowl caliber team. So like if you're not in the AFC where it's like if these injuries took place and oh man, you're going to have to beat Allen and then Mahomes and then Burrow. And oh, by the way, you might not be the number one seed. Like this is pretty much as good of a situation as you could expect uh, 
to be in right now. So it's my, it's my little half full spin there for the Eagles. All right. Question number nine. Let's finally get to the matchup. We're about three hours uh, into the podcast here. Uh, Saints, I don't think we need to spend too long on this. They're 20th in DVOA. How do the Eagles match up with the Saints? Uh, Saints are 22nd on offense, 13th on defense. Andy Dalton is their quarterback. Taysom Hill played, I think, 25 snaps last week as they incorporated him more. Alvin Kamara. Negative 25 degrees outside. Yes, in Cleveland. Alvin Kamara, I think, has over 1,100 yards from scrimmage. We don't know if Chris Olave is going to play. He did not play last week. He's got more than twice as many receiving yards as any other Saints wide receiver. So they do not have a deep group in terms of pass catching weapons. They've got a couple injuries on the interior of their offensive line as well. Defensively, if you're an Eagles fan, you've seen the Saints team before. Uh, Still Dennis Allen, still going to be an aggressive team, play a lot of uh, cover one, uh, not, not maybe as high a percentage as they have in previous years. They don't blitz a whole lot. They've got veterans, Demario Davis, uh, Cam Jordan, these guys who can certainly make plays, but they do not have a great pass rush, so they've been more of a mediocre defense. Benjamin, what are your thoughts on this matchup against the New Orleans Saints? Eagles' interior defensive line is too good for the interior offensive line as it stands for the Saints. You might see... Uh, Calvin Throckmorton. They might have uh, Andrews Pete was carted off. They might have Josh Andrews out there who Former Josh Eagle. Andrews was the Eagles. No, he was on the Eagles like whatever, like four years ago or something like that. Yeah. But uh, the, the, there's a huge mismatch there with the Eagles interiors is probably the best position group defensively deepest. Got a lot of talent. Hargrave's incredible. They're, they're going to dominate there. And then the Eagles corners are too good for these receivers pending Chris Olave. Olave can play. But if it's Rash- Rashid, Shahid, Traquan Smith, Marquez Calloway, you're in a great spot there. So you're going to give up. Although it feels like Rashid Shahid has like a 50-yard catch every week. I don't. I know his he's numbers very, indicate that he doesn't. Yeah. But. <laughs> it's funny because his, his numbers are extremely efficient. It's just that he's a big big play merchant. So he, he'll, like, he'll, yeah. he'll rip one off on you. Juwan Johnson, I really like this tight end, this wide receiver tight end cover they got out of Oregon. He'll, he'll get a couple on you, get a couple on your safety. He's a big fella. Alvin Kamara will get a couple. Taysom Hill will get a third down. Like, they'll get their spots. And like Dalton's playing Dalton ball, right? He's fine. Like he'll 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 take a throw. So they'll get theirs. But like defensively, the Eagles have so many good matchups that it's tough to see them having a bad outing. So then it's all right. Can you put up twenty points against the Saints team and just make sure that you out outscore them and outpace them? They should be able to. The Saints have been getting good defensive play down the stretch as of late. They've got improved play. There's Alante Taylor. You know they've figured out they got a rookie out there is playing really well at corner. Right, Demario's still doing great stuff. Their pass rush is solid. Like Pete Werner is a good second linebacker. Like they they just continue to turn out talent. It's not as good of a Dennis Allen defense as we're used to seeing, but it's still a pretty good Dennis Allen defense. So it could be a little bit tough on moving the football. I think they're going to be able to pressure Gardner when when the Saints defense struggles and they struggled against the Eagles last year. They typically struggle against rushing quarterbacks. They're really bad against mobile QBs. And there's probably no Jalen Hurts in this game. So your, your typical advantage against this defense is, is lost. You're going to have to find some new ones. But I think, the again, like with these pass catchers, with this front, with this running game, they should be able to overwhelm. I think it'll be a little bit of an ugly game. I think it'll be a little bit of a sticky game. I think there'll be some concerns. But I do think the Eagles are, are like, they're touchdown favorites in this game, even with, like, the Minshew injury and the Lane Johnson injury. It's Looks like it's down to six on on yeah. FanDuel now. It's just a, it's a testament to just how much better this roster is. Saints are fighting for, like, a 0.4% chance to win the division or something stupid like that. Like, I think the Eagles are going to be okay. I think it's going to be ugly, but I think it's going to be okay. That leads us to question. Oh, no, no. Before we get to the predictions, Cliff. 
came in hot on the text before we started and said, how about we do top five most Philly sports moments of the Did year? I and I said, this. and you know, I, oh, I think he, he was texting uh, me and I said, Cliff, I can't come up with five. Uh, I'm an old man. I'd have a bad memory. I don't eat my almonds. I would need more time than that. I said, you got five for us? And he said, I can put together five. So Cliff, hit us with your top five Philly sports moments of the year before we get to our Eagles Saints predictions. Before we get into this, I didn't hit Ben up because... I know he has like a million different shows he has to do. No, it's cool, it's cool, it's cool. I didn't know that you and Shield had a text thread that I was on. And you know Ben's gonna, not going to check. He has 400 unread text messages, so he would get to this on like next week. Ben, I have 141, <laughs> sir. So Ben, ben, yeah, ben, ben is busy, here. Ben is busier than Biden right now, so that that's how serious <laughs> gets, that's how serious this time of year gets for Ben. So I didn't hit him up because I, you know, I didn't want to clutter your mind with more nonsense. Oh no, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. Okay, so. I'm going to count this down, the top five moments in Philly sports this year, starting from five to one. And, uh, you know, you guys let me know what you think, all right? So let's yeah, go. Okay. All right, let's so, so number five. On November 12th and November 13th, versus the Hawks and the Jazz and back-to-backs, Joel Embiid scored a combined total of 101 points. And yeah. get this, in the game against the Jazz, the second end of that back-to-back, he drops 59 for his career high, and in 26 of the 27 points that the Sixers scored in the fourth quarter were all Joel Embiid. So that took my number five moment of the year. I I remember I had a tweet about that. That was a box score, the likes of which the NBA has never seen before. Now, they didn't start counting blocks until, I want to say, 72. And so I'm sure, you know, Wilt might have had one uh, before then. I think it was Wilt and Elgin Baylor had filled up the other parts of the box score, but they did not count blocks. But yeah, that was a -a one-of-a-kind performance there for Joel and Bade. All right, four, what do you got? Number four, December 5th, 2022, A.J. Brown. Tennessee Titans, they come into the link. A.J. Brown scores that touchdown. First of all, it gets negated, right? Scores the touchdown again after uh, the DB slips. I forget his name. Ben, you can fill me in on what his name is. Fulton. Was it Fulton? Thank you. Fulton. A.J. Brown rightfully so scores, and then he pulls the towel out and starts whipping the Titans up. (laughs) His old team that didn't want to pay him traded him on draft night. They got the 18th pick out of it. They get Traylon Burks, who's a you know young, promising receiver, but he's no A.J. Brown, who's a top five receiver in the league right now. So I thought just that one singular moment for A.J. Brown was probably the best moment for the Eagles this 2022 season, even more so going to the playoffs uh, last year, which wasn't expected, but they got killed by Brady and the Bucks. So I didn't even I didn't even want to put that yeah. in there. I, I didn't like that as a moment. Okay, Let, let's hear the top three, and then we'll right, decide whether, we, whether we to go. rip you for that it's or not. Yeah. It's time for the nitty and gritty top three. All right, <laughs> October 28th, game one of the World Series. Phillies are down five to nothing. Top of the fourth. Justin Berland was probably the best pitcher in baseball right now, won the Cy Young last season. He gives, a, he gives up a two-run double to JT Real Muto in the top of the fourth, and after that, the game drags on, it drags on, it drags on into extra innings. JT Rio Muto, he homers to right in the top of the 10th, gives the Phillies a 6-5 lead and a comeback victory in game one of the World Series. How are we feeling about okay. that? How are we feeling about that one? Uh, I like it. I want to hear the I want to hear the top right. two before I uh, comment because right. I can't, you know, I, I don't know I what have else no you have. On all Phillies related <laughs> moments, but okay. that sounds sick. Okay. <laughs> April 20, 420 for uh, all the smokers out there. <laughs> 
<laughs> Joel Embiid <laughs> goes back to Toronto and gets some revenge. Game tied 101 with 2.6 seconds left on the clock. Embiid catches the inbound from Danny Green. It hits a turnaround fadeaway three-pointer to give the Sixers a 104-101 victory against the Toronto Raptors, who, as we all know, got us in the playoffs in one year with the Kawhi bounce that the eight, the 30 different times it bounced in the yeah. rim. And Joel finally gets his revenge in Toronto. And the Sixers go up 3-0, uh, which ultimately led them winning the series. I believe they won 4-2 that series. But that critical game three just absolutely killed the hopes of Toronto's faithful. And uh, Drake walked up the court saying, you know, uh, damn, man, you got us, man. You got us. And uh, this- <laughs> I forgot I forgot there was all the Drake drama before that game. I forgot about that. <laughs> yep. And after SMB's walking up the court, he says, I'm coming for the sweep. Obviously, the Sixers don't get the sweep from the Raptors, but, you know, they still come out on top and lose in the second round like they always do. So here's the number one moment for me. October 23rd, 2022. Bryce Harper up to bat. NLCS. Phillies down 3-2. Bottom of the eight. 2-2 count. JT Romuto on first base. Harper blasts one in a left center field. The crowd just goes crazy at the bank. The Phillies end up winning that game to advance to the World Series, and which to me was the biggest moment in Philly sports this year. Tell me, guys, where am I wrong okay. here? All right, so uh, I'll start, and I'm going to need your help with this, Benny. So, all right, number one to me is that that's uh, inarguable. I mean, the team makes yeah. the World Series, that's and they get one. to the World Series like that. That's absolutely a lock. Uh, I will say I think I have an issue with having – Two Sixers, you know, is, get you got to get past the second round of the playoffs before I can give you two. I of the was top, surprised that uh, one made number two. Five moments here, <laughs> you know, like like the Phillies get to the World Series yeah. and the Eagles are having this season where they're not losing. I think we, I understand there were two big Sixers moments. I think we got to pick our favorite Sixers moment and just have one. You got to earn it. You got to earn it, Sixers. You got to get past the second round. Being on there, I just yeah, it's a if first we're doing a top ten off shot. Is is tough though. Embiid was very happy. Like I always remember Embiid's celebration after that shot. Like how like it very clearly was like an exercise demons thing for him, which I appreciate. Exactly, it's the revenge factor. Yeah. It's a story leading up to that. It's <laughs> Kawhi yeah. beating you, you know, on your court with thirty or in Toronto. I got gotcha. thirty different bounces, and then you going back there hitting a turnaround fadeaway three, you know, to go up three nothing, which essentially seals the fate of the Raptors yeah. in that series. Who knows what could have happened if they the, won the, that game? I'm trying to think of a better moment in this Eagles season, though, because it's. I was going to ask you, Ben, if you yeah. thought that was the right Eagles moment, or if there's a different one, because Cliff and I were talking before we came on, and it's kind of it was hard for us to identify just that one moment that was like the moment of so this year. I got a moment in mind. I got two of them actually. So back to back weeks when the Eagles ran for 300 and passed for 300, I thought, okay, that can kind of be spliced as one moment, but then again, it's not really one moment. But I also thought of. The Colts touchdown that Jalen Hurts scored with, uh, I, I don't know how much time was left on that clock there, but it was pretty late in the game. Less the than Eagles, a minute, yeah. Yeah, it was less than a minute. The Eagles were struggling all game long. But the problem with that game was it was such a muddy, ugly game, and then you were down to the Colts. So that kind of bothered yeah. me, but that could be an Eagles quote-unquote moment. I didn't like the playoff game. I believe the playoff game was the only game that they played in the new year last No, no, I'm sorry. They played a regular season game, and then they played the playoff game in the new year last year. And they got yeah. smoked by Brady and the Bucks. 
So technically, he didn't. Yeah, you know, no, it's got to be from this year, right? What do you think, Ben? That Vikings game or something? Is but there I, something like, in there? The Vikings game is the game that stands out as the most. Like, oh, holy smokes! You know what I'm saying? Like, and even yes. then, like the Vikings were only one and zero, but still, like it was. You know, I think they were like three point dogs in that game. They've just been favorites, and they've won as favorites, and they've won in like very professional ways, and they haven't had really yeah. like huge com- like they haven't paid the chiefs and the bills or the Bengals or you know whatever and like had like huge incredible comeback wins or anything like that yeah. um if they had beaten the cowboys on like a Gardner Minshew game-winning touchdown pass with zero seconds left to win 41 to 40 i would have like that like to me like that sort of thing like to, to lock up the nfc seed and lock up lock up the nfc east and lock up the one seed like that's another one but they didn't do that uh, so it's tough. Yeah. It's they're not a moment team right now. They're a right. you know slow glacier terminator team where they just kind of like quietly eliminate everything in their path. So yeah. I don't know. The official answer is the Saints trade where they got <laughs> the extra first round pick. You know, like it's something like that. Like I don't know. Yeah, it's a tough one. Yeah, I think you could go with with, with what Cliff said because that Titans game was a dominating performance. If you like something from the Vikings game, uh, you could certainly go with that. So I think Cliff's w- w- was good. If you're listening and we're missing a big Eagles moment that you think stood out, let us know. The only other one I'll throw in here, uh, Cliff, was, and you probably don't want to have three Phillies moments in, in there, but um, when playoff baseball returned to Citizens Bank Park, and they had that third inning against the Braves where you get the Reese Hoskins uh, bat spike, and then you get the home run I remember two at bats yeah. later. That's what I wrote about for the, for the ringer when we had to each name our favorite sports moment of 2022 uh, or many of us that that was what I had for I, my favorite uh, sports. I, I was thinking about the, the Boehm home run as well, too. Uh, and I also thought yeah. about the Cassianos game. I mean, you got to think about the oh, catch. Man. Yeah. You got to think about the catch. The big <laughs> yeah. Like there's so many moments that the Phillies had just, I mean, their playoff run alone could have had like five different moments, but yeah, it shows you how good Joel Embiid has been all year. I mean, he had his career high on the back end of a back to back scored 26 points. In the yeah, fourth quarter. That was such a sick game. <laughs> like, Especially because defensively it was so good. Like you gotta really think about the insanity of that and what goes into that. So I, I had to give him be his props. I just thought there were so many demons exercising that Toronto game to where you know you go back to the team that beat you and then you hit a turnaround three after you were walking out the arena crying on national television after yeah. you lost to the playoff game with Kawhi, and that team ended up winning the championship. Who people thought the Sixers were supposed to win the championship that year, right, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that moment just was a culmination of everything. It wasn't just about, you know, hitting that shot. There was just so much involved in that moment. So I thought that had to be up there. I thought that was more important than Embiid's career high. Like, I, it just meant so much more just because, you know, playoff, intensity, um, you know, just everything that went into that. So, you know, I will ask the people. So if the people actually yeah. care about the top five moments, just please add Ben. Because I know he gets a lot of hate in his uh, mentions. Yeah, right. So. I know. I'll, I'll take it all. <laughs> so We're, we uh, no shout out for the Philadelphia Union. Yeah, the MLS that was a great true. final. That, that was an awesome true. final. Which is definitely a thing that I remember watching <laughs> and consuming the experience of. Shout out to the union. That championship game is like one of the might be the best soccer game. You know, not not one. All right, we saw the World yeah, Cup right. final was the best yeah. soccer game <laughs> I've ever seen. But up until that point, uh, it was very exciting. The Capadias uh, had that on. The Capadias went to their first union game this year. It was fun. It was a raucous crowd sold out. So yeah, we will give a shout no, out. Shout out. Uh, Honorable to mention the to the union. Then that's on me. There you Honorable go. mention to the there again. Add Ben Solak if you have any issues Shh. with my. <laughs> 
or leave a review. Leave it, leave it in the reviews. We'll go and we'll read those. Thank you to Cliff for those. And remember, if you leave a review, ask a question, we'll get to those next week for sure. All right, Ben, let's finish it up. Man, this is a, what a, what a long episode. See, you missed one postgame pod and we're like, we got to get all of Solak's takes here right, yeah. during the week. Uh, predictions, I'll go first. I've been going back and forth on this. At first, I'm like, I think they might kill the Saints and just blow them out. I do think the Saints defense can be a little bit feisty. Their corners can be a little bit feisty. I don't think they're going to make life that easy for Gardner Minshew. I could see the Eagles turning the ball over a little bit. I think the Eagles defense will bounce back. I'm going to go with a little bit more of an ugly game. I will say Eagles 24, Saints 19. So I like Saints uh, with the points now that it's down to uh, plus six. I wish it was plus seven. Then I was, was going to go 23-17, but I'll go 24 19 Eagles, Eagles lock up the number one seed this Sunday. What do you got? Yeah, I like 23-13. I think the defense has a really, really good day. I think that 40 points sucks. They haven't done that all season. I think that's frustrating. I think they're going to really beat up this front uh, for the Saints. I think they're going to get a lot of sacks on Dalton, a lot of pressure. And I think that they also understand that, like, there's no reason to panic. The Eagles are fine. But the Eagles have to finish the job here. They have to get the one seed. They have to get that bye week for Jalen Hurts. And if they're like the offense will handle their business because they're great, but the defense is going to be the, the unit that wins it. Like the, no more thinking, no more like, oh, what about in week 18? What if this happens if the Niners lose? The defense is going to dominate the Saints and they're going to dominate them. They're going to win the game and they're going to secure the one seed. And that's going to keep things quiet and easy for the Eagles moving forward. So I like 23 13. I like a, a sloppy game and a lot of field goals and some stupidness, but generally a defensive performance that locks the one seed up for the birds. Yeah, this could be like a seven or eight sack game. By the way, you know, I'm a CTC, cash them checks. If you're a D lineman, this is your last chance to pad those sack stats. Make sure you're getting them. You got Andy Dalton. You got a couple backup guards in there. If I'm uh, Hassan Redick or Josh Sweat, I'm saying we're running these stunts all day long. I'm getting inside. I'm not going up against Ryan Ramchek. What are you nuts? Get me inside uh, against those guards. We got to start getting some podcaster. You know, yearly whatevers. We gotta get some CTC in here for the building. Get some final numbers. Push out some extra episodes. Get some. Uh, I agree. Escalators in the contracts. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it with the big guys. We, we will figure that out. All right. Thank you to Benjamin Solak. We will be back Sunday night to talk Eagle Saints. Man, I just thought about what if the Eagles actually lose this game? Ooh, no, maybe no, there will no, be no, some no, no. tight sphincters around the city if they go into week 18 without having locked up the number one seed. I don't think that's going to happen. Ben doesn't think that's going to happen. We think they'll lock it up on Sunday. So we will see. Thanks to everybody. Uh, for listening. I guess we say Happy New Year's now, right? It'll be Happy New Year's Eve on Saturday. Happy New Year's to everyone. We will talk to you uh, New Year's night in 2023 on the Ringers Philly Special.